course you'll have doubts. Just don't let them be dead ends. And a lot of people stand at the dead end of a destiny that God is bringing them into because they will not walk through the doubt to get to the promise. I meet these people and they say things to me because of my profession, I guess. They make assumptions about me because there's a rev in front of my name. They make assumptions about me that I don't have real doubts. One gentleman that I was doing business with, he put it this way. He was like, I envy you because I would love to have faith. I always wanted to believe in God, but I just always am the kind of person that doubts a lot, and I envy you that you don't have those doubts. Now, here's what I should have said back to him. It only took me four months to come up with this. Because he is assuming that faith is the absence of doubt. For me, faith has never been the absence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It is the means to overcome it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because we get in church, and we just all go into this walking dead, willing suspension of disbelief, and we just believe things that have no impact on our everyday life, just like we're binge-watching Netflix. Like, I'm just going to watch this for a little while and hear this little comforting word. But then we go out into the world and we we doubt the stuff, but we can't say we doubt the stuff because doubt is bad. Because isn't doubt bad? One time I even had a campus pastor who was giving an invitation, like we will give in a moment for people who want to place their faith in Christ. And when we do it at our church, we have people repeat a prayer. It's just a means of allowing them to express their heart to God so that they can have a moment. That they look back on and say, I placed my trust in Christ. And to me, that prayer is a very sacred moment. It's not a time for people to get their person, get out and beat the parking. And it's not a time for someone who's preaching to start sharing their opinions. That is a time to present the gospel and get out of the way because only God can save a person. And now, well, I believe this campus pastor meant well, but. What he said, I had to correct him on later. And I'm not a mean guy, and I make mistakes up here too. But to me, he made a really big mistake when he was praying the prayer because he was inviting the people to pray. And he said, If you want to give your heart to Christ today and know for sure that you have a relationship with Him, pray this You know, Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe without a doubt. That's the part he should have left out. I believe without a doubt that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of the world, today I give you my life. All of it was good. All of it was appropriate, and there is no other way to be saved but to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. But that one parenthetical insert, without a doubt, I told him never again when you stand in the pulpit at elevation do I want you to put people in a position where you're telling them to pray something that they can't honestly pray. As a matter of fact, don't put them in a position to pray something that you can't honestly pray, because there is not one of you in the room, even with tabs in your pink Bible, that can honestly say without a doubt, not a one of you. 
And if you can, hang on. You hadn't had teenagers yet. Somebody to my backside back me up on this. The triumph of my faith is not the absence of doubt. The triumph of my faith is the ability for the light to shine in the deepest, darkest recesses of my heart. I got doubts, but I trust him anyway. So my faith can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and the shadow of doubt and the shadow of dysfunction, I will fear no evil. It's not that I don't go through valleys. I don't die there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is Christmas preaching, people. Even though throw us in the fire. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow our knee to you, O King Nebuchadnezzar. I know Lazarus is dead, but if Jesus is on the scene, every dead end is a destiny waiting to begin. Even now... my doubts. I don't believe this because I don't doubt it. If you don't doubt it, you're not reading it. Or you're reading it with no intent to live it. See, my doubt is the evidence of my growth. The closer I get, the more questions I have. I struggle to believe it, that I'm forgiven, that, that he forgives me not only for what I did before I accepted him, but for what I still do. Oh, y'all are going to look at me like that on Christmas. That's what you brought me, that face? Maybe he could forgive the past stuff. But what about the present stuff? What about that? Yeah, I, I have my doubts. I have my faith, but I have my doubts. My man thought he couldn't come to Christ because he had doubts. He thought that belief was the absence of doubt. He didn't have the revelation that real belief is the willingness to stand on it even when you can't see it, feel it, or explain it. I, I have my doubts. I read that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, and the old is gone and the new has come, but that verse is still in progress in my life. There's still some old stuff in me. comes out in traffic. Hello. I have my doubts. I have my doubts. I have my doubts. I read that whom the sun sets free is free indeed, but sometimes I feel bound by stuff. I have my doubts. Is that all right? Do you need to find another church now that you know that the dude with the mic has some doubts? I have my doubts. I have my doubts. 
And Abby is already doing the thing that you all, we all do at some point in our life if we try to be religious, where she's going, well, she said the other day, where did God come from? And I'm like, you're six. Can he just have always been there at age six? Do we really have to start this now? But that was about the same time I did it, and she said it so funny. It was like she had me on a witness stand or something. She said, uh, I bet she was waiting for me to get home from work because she asked Holly, and Holly said, You're going to ask your dad about that. He'll be home in a couple hours. And she said, uh, Abby's got a question for you. And Abby said, uh, Where did God come from, and uh, who made him? And don't just say he's always been there. And I'm going, Already? Yeah, already. This is the first gift of mystery that heaven is giving to my daughter. It is the beginning of a, a lifetime of learning the art of faith, which Richard Rohr suggests is patience with mystery. Not the absence of it, patience with it. To take Mary home, even when you don't know where this is headed. So I did not give her a cookie-cutter answer, partially because she's smarter than me and would have seen right through it, and said, I welcome the mystery. And I said, I used to lay awake in my bed, too, thinking about that when I was a little boy. I was probably seven or eight, because boys are two years behind, but I had that same thing. I just could never make sense of it, and I still haven't. I have my doubts, but I believe it. I believed it while I was watching my dad die, and I had to preach my stuff back to myself, and I didn't have the protective insulation of this to stand behind or this to hold. Yeah, so it's a real it's a real problem because a lot of people are waiting for the doubt to disappear to take the next step of faith. If the absence of doubt was a prerequisite for being used by God, Mary could not have been the mother of Jesus. Over here, the angel is talking to Joseph, but before he came to Joseph, he spoke to Mary. He spoke to them separately because you have to experience faith for yourself. You have to make your own decision as to who God is and what he means to you. So while he was speaking to Joseph, who had to endure the embarrassment of walking through this next season, he was speaking to Mary. And you're familiar with the story, but just put it on the screens real quick. This is Luke 1, where he said to Mary, uh, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That's the verdict. Before I give you the particulars of the situation, I want to bring you back to the thing that you can always know in every season of your life if you choose to believe it. Your verdict, should you choose to accept it, God is with me, God is for me. You are highly favored, God is for you, and He is with you in this moment. Now I got something I got to tell you. The angel starts off by reminding 
Mary of his presence, and it says that Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Now, what's there to be troubled about? All he said was, hello, God likes you. <laughs> Seemed like she ought to high-fived him, fist bump. But she wondered what this greeting might be. Often, the first impulse when God really shows up in your life is fear, and it is only in pushing through the fear that you find the love of God on the other side of your fear. What's this all about? But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. And I got an assignment for you. Because you found favor with God, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, watch Mary's response. Well, praise the Lord and glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, and goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. And your words to me are like drops of gold assurance in a heart. But no, Mary said first thing out of her mouth was, How? I know how pregnancy works. How am I pregnant? I promise God. Me and Joseph have been keeping it clean. I promise God. We have not been in the backseat of, of a Camelac. I promise God. How? Her first instinct is not, yes. It's how. That is always the response when God really knocks. How? How can I really be forgiven by someone who died on a cross before I was ever born? How can somebody else's death really affect my life? How? That's a good starting place. How can you really use me? Look at me. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. How? How? How can I move forward after this? How can I believe that I still will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? How? 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 See, the greatest gifts that God ever gives are on the other side of your how, on the other side of your question, on the other side of your I don't get it, on the other side of your I don't understand, on the other side of who me, on the other side of what now, on the other side of why this. That's where the gift is. And you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. God wrapped his son in something that looked so common that you would walk by it if you weren't looking for it. Because the greatest gifts that God gives are wrapped in doubt. When the promise is wrapped in doubt for a reason, because if he gave you proof, you wouldn't need faith. Hey, thanks for watching. Click the subscribe button on your screen so you never miss a video. And would you also take a second and share this video with a friend? If you click the arrow below that says share, maybe you can encourage somebody today, your coworker, your mom, whoever, you never know how it might impact their life. Thanks again for watching, and don't forget to subscribe and share.